Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Well, welcome to Real Cuff. And tonight we have... Okay, I, I want to take you back to February. It started February 28, 1993, down in Waco with the Branch Davidians and David Koresh and all that. And I know that a lot of y'all that are listening would have seen the news and everything going on. And, and first of all, I want to say, because a lot of people are going to go, wait, wait, I don't want to hear about this. I want to say that I think it's time for the church to listen and open up and listen with their their heart because, you know, I look at that situation and if you flew over their compound and you flew over Mercy Ships or you flew over Teen Mania or you flew over uh, Youth with a Mission, any of those, it, it's the exact same setup. It's the same thing going on. And, and I feel like the government just came in and it, it was completely unjust, but in the same way, God's in control. And what I have on tonight, I have the pastor, and his name is Charles Pace, and he took over uh, that whole church area. They rebuilt, they renamed the church. It's now called the Branch of the, the, the Lord Our Righteousness. And I want you to hear it from his point. And he actually went and talked to David and told him he was in error and everything else before any of this started. Like, was it nine years, you told me? Yes, it was. 1984. Yeah, nine years before any of this happened. So I want you to hear the real story of what's going on without all the politics involved. So, Charles, how are you tonight? I'm I'm very good. I'm I'm very thankful that I have this opportunity. Um, it's very rare that people want to know the church's side of the story. Like Paul Harvey, you know, would say, "Here's the rest of the story that you will not hear uh, on TV or you know any of these documentaries." There are some people that are are wanting to actually. Um, you know, do a documentary on this. They've been contacting me, and they they think that this is a very good... uh, It's a side that hasn't been told to the public. So I'm going to uh, share with you uh, my own personal experience as a member of the Branch Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Church uh, before and... uh, after, you know, David Koresh came along. So I've been a Branch Davidian, um, and I want you to understand, too, that the Branch Davidian um, organization or movement is not what you think it is from what you've seen uh, through what David Koresh promoted, okay? Okay. the branch is the Hebrew name. Branch in Hebrew means son or daughter, okay? 
And Davidian <clears throat> or um, means my beloved. So my beloved sons and daughters is what Branch Davidians means, but more so it's the name of the Lord, the branch. And you can see it in Zechariah uh, 3 and 6. You can see it in Jeremiah um, Let's see, Jeremiah uh, 23, uh, 5 and 6, and Jeremiah 33, 15 and 16. And um, you can also see it in Isaiah 11. Um, It says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the branch that it's referring to uh, is the son of David. Uh, the um, uh, the Lord our righteousness. So we believe before David Koresh came along, we believe that uh, the Messiah uh, is the only begotten Son of God that most Christians uh, now believe. But we believe more from our Jewish or Israelite roots. Uh, We were a group that uh, were one of the first Messianic groups that kept the uh, Feast of the Lord under Ben Roden. That would be back in 1960. And uh, he, Ben Roden, was the one who basically... Uh, founded the Branch Davidian Seventh-day Adventist movement. Uh, An individual came before him here in Waco, and his name was Victor Hodaf, and he started the Davidian Seventh-day Adventists. And Ellen White, I think this is the most popular, that Ellen G. White uh, founded the Seventh-day Adventist um, movement. So we basically had a, an understanding and a belief system that was based on Ellen White and her writings, Victor Hodaf and his writings, and Benjamin Roden and his writings. And so um, we believe that Christ was the Messiah, that the uh, Lord was going to set up his kingdom on this earth, and that it would, headquarters would be in Jerusalem, uh, Israel. But there would be a place for us to gather before we went to Jerusalem, and that would be here at Mount Carmel uh, Center in uh, Waco, Texas. Now, Waco was known as Jerusalem on the Brazos. And the Brazos de Dios is the river that goes through um, Waco here. And Brazos de Dios means the arms of God. And so here we are in Jerusalem, a spiritual Jerusalem, so to speak, in the arms of God, okay? It's a um, city. And Waco also means uh, principal people. And so we felt that this 
place here um, had spiritual significance. Okay, now I don't know what if the uh, you know Victor Hoddup and Ben Roden came here for that reason. I don't think they even knew that, but they were drawn here by the Spirit to uh, establish uh, their uh, ministries here. But um, let me bring you, uh, in 1973 was when I first came here, and that was after I had been baptized as a Seventh-day Adventist in 1970. And uh, I was searching for more truth. Uh, I was basically on a quest. Uh, When I was 20, I asked God. I mean, I I was mixed up in, um, you know, the hippie, uh, called, uh, uh, not called, but the hippie generation, you know, drugs and, you know, uh, that kind of thing. And um, I felt that that was not um, satisfying. I wanted, I wanted more than what that was offering me. And I was raised as a Catholic, and I wanted more than what the Catholic Church was offering me. So I went on a quest, and I asked the Lord if he would uh, if there is absolute truth, if there's truth that I can, you know, uh, um, live for the rest of my life, okay, and know that I am following a God, a true God, because there were so many different variations of who Christ is. Every denomination has their own version of who Christ is. And, uh, uh, you know, they have their own doctrinal beliefs and uh you get baptized into a church or a denomination. Well, I wanted to be baptized into Christ and, uh, and to follow him and to have him as my Lord and Savior. And, but I, I didn't know whether there was a true um, individual, okay, um, because there were so many versions of him, okay, and I studied other religions, I studied other denominations, and I, you know, I, I wanted to know who he was. And so I reached out to him, and I asked him, I said, look, I'm going to give you three days to lead me to the truth, if there is truth out there that I should be uh, following. And if you really and truly exist, if you really are the way, the truth, and the life, well, then I want you to show me that the, that who you are, and 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 uh, I'm going to hitchhike, okay? And I want you to lead me to the truth. Now, of course, I was 21. Um, you know, put my be- knapsack on my back, and and I went. I was out in British Columbia, and uh, I went hitchhiking. Now, previous to that, I was going to commit suicide because I didn't feel like I had anything to live for, okay? There was nothing, you know, to live for. If there's no absolute truth that I can, you know, uh, follow and uh, uh, if my existence, you know, is meaningless, then what's the point? So when I reached that point, uh, that's when I asked the Lord, you know, if you do exist, then lead me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hitchhike, and you just take me wherever you want me to go, and I'm gonna give you three days though, and I better you know it better happen in three days or I'm gonna finish the job. I'm gonna kill myself. I'm gonna I was gonna drown myself in the Pacific Ocean, out uh, near Vancouver, 
Um, but anyway, so I started hitchhiking. And to make a long story short, uh, you know, three days later, a man picked me up that was, he traveled all the way from uh, Ontario, Canada, uh, which was about, oh, 2,500 miles. And he was looking for work as an electrician. Now, back then when you would hitchhike, you know, uh, hippies would hitchhike all the time, okay? There was about 25 other hitchhikers on the, uh, the off-ramp or the on-ramp, I, I should say, uh, where I was hitchhiking. And I was probably about 15th from the end, so, you know, we all waited our turn. But this guy comes up to, and, and drives in behind me and stops and honks his horn and calls me over. And he says, I want to give you a ride. I says, well, what about, it's not my turn. What about all that? No, I want... He said, the Lord told me to ask you to get in. And I said, oh, my goodness. You know, now this was the third day uh, as well. Um, and so I get in his van. It's around, um, oh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, he was coming out of uh, the city, which was Chilliwack, um, and uh, he had gone there to, for an interview or whatever, and he says, I'm, I'm going down the road to a camp uh, just down the road here, not too far. It's about 15, 20 miles, but I can take you that far. I said, okay, I'll go with you. So while we're driving, uh, he starts talking to me. I noticed he had a Bible on his, um, his um, console. And it was the same Bible that I had looked at at my friend's place two nights before. And, you know, just looked at it, put it back into the bookshelf. And, um, but it, it looked familiar to me. Anyway, uh, he said that uh, he's a Bible student and that um, he had studied uh, Scripture. And um, he asked me, he says, have you got any questions <laughs> you know, about... Uh, the truth, uh, you know, about uh, spirituality or anything. Well, I said, I'm on a quest. I, I'm looking for the truth. And he said, well, um, tell me a little bit about you. I said, well, I was raised a Catholic. I didn't feel that that was, you know, turning my crank, so to speak, anymore. And I just felt that I needed to explore, um, you know, uh, to see if there's other truth. And um, he says, that's, that's good that, that you did that. He says, I used to be uh, into spiritualism. I used to go to seances and I, um, you know, communicated with the dead. And I said, that's odd because when I was, you know, um, stoned, I saw spirits and uh, they tried to communicate with me and I saw them even coming coming out of uh, you know my friends' bodies when they're sleeping or when they're stoned. You know what I'm saying? And so he said, "Yes." He says, "He says there are spirits." He says, "But you have to test the spirits to see if that they're from God." And I said, "Well, so what do you do?" He says, "Well, uh, they have to speak according to the law and the testimony. And if they don't speak according to the law," of God and the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy, uh, then there's no light in them. 
And I thought, oh, my goodness, that's, you know, just that in itself was so helpful because I was being um, basically beguiled and seduced by, uh, you know, familiar spirits, and I didn't know, you know, what was right and what was wrong, and, you know, you just, it was spiritually happening, but it doesn't mean that every spirit that comes to you is, is of God. So... Uh, you know, he talked more about that and how he was able to overcome, you know, going to seances and, and everything and communicating with the dead by knowing who the Lord was and 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 uh, knowing the, the true spirit of God. And uh, so, I, you know, I talked to him about that. And on the way, you know, uh, as we talked, we came to this inter- the intersection that he said, okay, this is as far as I'm going, and uh, I have to go to my camp just out on the road here, and I can leave you here, or I can bring you out here in the morning, and you can hitchhike as long as you want, you know, you can hitchhike, and, uh, but I'm going to this camp. So you make up your mind. You can stay with me for the night, or you can, you know, stay out here and try to hitchhike through the night. And so... You know, I sat there, and I just felt like I couldn't get out of the van. Something, you know, came over me. I just couldn't get out of the van. I said, okay, I'm going to go with you. So he took me to this camp, and it happened to be a Seventh-day Adventist camp meeting at Hope, B.C., Hope, British Columbia. I, I, you know, I think of Hope Before Christ. <laughs> but there I was uh, at the Seventh-day Adventist camp meeting, and uh, I remembered what I had prayed for, and I said, I want to know the truth, and, you know. And so that evening, uh, I went to the main ca- uh, tent and um, took in the uh, study, the sermon. And uh, it was all about Christ in the sanctuary and how he you know, paid the price, how he sheds his blood, how he uh, uh, forgives us of our sins when we confess them. And I thought, this is, this is, all, this is similar to Catholicism, but it's not. It's, it's like the real thing. I don't have to go through a priest. I don't have to, I can go directly to him. And uh, it was just a relief, and, and it was like... Um, Everything that was being said, it was like it was being poured into my head, and I was understanding every bit of it. And uh, even this man made this comment. He says, it took me, you know, I've, I've been a Seventh-day Adventist for about uh, 15 years now, and uh, I've had to go over this several times before I could understand it. He says, you seem to have a grasp on it, because we talked about it after. He says, you seem to have a grasp on it. Uh, better than I could ever have had, you know, in the time that you had. And I said, I just believe that this is of God and that this is what the Lord wants me to know. So anyway, we spent the night. The next morning, um, he took me out on the road. (laughs) And uh, I was determined that I was going to hitchhike. And so he he took me out at 6 o'clock in the morning. And um, I counted over 300 cars and I, uh, that passed me by, and I wasn't going anywhere. And so at 12 o'clock, I gave it six hours, and I said, I'm going to 
stay here until 12 o'clock. And he said, and I said, uh, uh, if I don't make it, I'm going to go back. Uh, so anyway, I put my hand out to, hit, to hitchhike the other way. And this car with a family of six spits and sputters and stalls right in front of me. So I told him, I said, I'll help you push it uh, to get it going again because it was a standard. And so anyway, we got it pushed. It got started. He says, uh, we can take you down the road as far as we're going if you want to come with us right now. I says, okay. So I end up back at that camp meeting because that's where they were going. So I knew that this is what God wanted me to know and it had to do with the Seventh-day Adventist teachings. Even though I didn't fully, uh, um, you know, I thought there was more truth than what even they uh, present. But I believed what they were presenting, but I felt that there was even more. So when I, um, about a year and a half after I was baptized, uh, I met, some people that were from Mount Carmel at this self-supporting institute up in uh, Pullman, Michigan, which was called Oak Haven. And uh, I had gone there because I went to a retreat uh, for young people in British Columbia, and they told me that I could go there and learn, you know, uh, how to be a baker. Uh, I could work at a health food store. I could, uh, you know, learn all kinds of things, farming, you know, just whatever, and I could help there, and I could live there. And so I went there, and I was there for about a year and a half. And then a couple of uh, people came from Mount Carmel here, and uh, they basically uh, talked me into coming down here because I felt that there was more truth that I needed to know, and I just felt that I needed to come down here. So... Uh, I came down here and um, I've been hooked ever since because of the message, not of the people, okay, what is being taught. And this is what I asked the Lord to lead me to, and, and this is what I've been into all these years. Uh, so that was 1970, uh, and here we are, you know, 2016, and I'm still a Branch Davidian. Uh, believing in the pure Branch Davidian teachings, not what David Koresh perverted. And, you know, what everybody believes out there that we believe. We don't believe in, in uh, most of what he was promoting. Now, in 1984, okay, uh, the Branch Davidians had a schism in the church. There was a division in the church. There were those that were, uh, by that time, Ben Roden had died. He died in 1979, 78, excuse me. And his wife took over, and we believe that she had a prophetic message as well, and that uh, she was teaching that the Holy Spirit is the Divine Mother okay, uh, of the heavenly family. You have a father and a son, and according to Romans 1.20, it says, through the visible things of the creation are clearly seen, the invisible things, even uh, his eternal power and Godhead. 
so that we are left without an excuse to know who God is. And you have to understand, this is what I was praying for, to know God and to know that he existed and, 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 and how I should relate to him and, you know, how, uh, you know, I was created in his image and likeness, male and female, okay? We were created male and female. And uh, so these are the things that came up and Lois Roden was teaching. And I accepted it. It was very easy for me to accept it. And maybe it was because I was a Catholic in my upbringing, and we believed in Mary, you see. But I no longer believe in Mary as Catholics believe in Mary. Uh, you know, that she is uh, uh, an intercessor and a mediatrix and so on and so forth. And I could see that it was a counterfeit, okay? Uh, but what was it a counterfeit of, okay? So... As we uh, uh, studied the femininity of the Godhead, we saw that uh, in Genesis it says, let us, plural, and in the Hebrew, uh, Elohim is masculine, root and excuse me a feminine root with a plural masculine ending so in hebrew when you uh are talking about a group or like a family a family uh and this is uh probably uh, how i can uh, relate it now this all has to do you know i'm not going on a tangent here this all has to do with what david koresh was promoting himself to be and that's what I that's why I want to explain this so that people understand it from the church's standpoint from a spiritual standpoint as well so Elohim has a feminine root and a masculine ending so when you when there's a group of women in Hebrew a group of women would have a feminine ending if there was one man in that group and the rest or females, for instance, like a family. The father is the masculine, the mother, the feminine, and say they had three daughters. Uh, it would still be under a masculine name. It would have a masculine plural name, ending, excuse me, with a feminine root, still, Elohim. So, any family okay, including the family of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, okay, uh, is masculine and feminine according to the Hebrew. And most people don't understand that the Shekinah, the presence of God that stood, sits over the mercy seat, uh, is feminine. It's the feminine representation, uh, the presence of God in the earth. Okay, the Holy Ghost, the other comforter, is the feminine representation of God. The other comforter, the other creator, the other intercessor, the other um, uh, counterpart of who Christ is, 
And at the cross, Christ was the second Adam. And when he cried out, it is finished, Father, into your hands I give you my spirit, and he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost, the Holy Ghost. At that moment, we're told that the veil in the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom. The graves were open, and uh, there was a great earthquake. And that veil, we're told, signified his flesh. So when he gave up his spirit as the second Adam, both blood and water came forth from his side when he was pierced. Eve came forth from Adam's side, okay? And the blood and the water commingled as it fell to the earth. And so, in the beginning, okay, when Adam was created and then Eve was taken from his side, the second Adam went through the same protocol to bring forth his counterpart, the other comforter. As he said, I must go and prepare a place for you all and so that where I am, you may be also. And I'm going to pray that the Father will send another comforter in my name and in the Aramaic. Okay, that was the language that Christ spoke and the disciples spoke. It was Aramaic. In the Aramaic text, it says, and when she comes, she will lead you into all truth, convict you of sin, and testify of me. So, when she came forth, he died an eternal death. Because the wages of sin isn't the first death. It's not just the physical death. It's the second death. So Yeshua had to take on the second death. In order for him to take on the second death, his eternal life, he had to give up his eternal life. He says, no man takes my life from me. So it's not the sin. It's not the, 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 the spear that pierced his side. It wasn't the crucifixion. He says, I give up my life and I give it up freely. No man can take my life from me. I freely give it. So when he gave up the Holy Ghost, the second Eve, the blood and the water that came forth from his side and mingled together showed that the spirit, the water, and the blood from his flesh commingled. And that at the cross, the spirit that he set free took on flesh, living flesh and bone before he died. Just like Eve did, coming forth from the first Adam. Now, he is the second Adam. That's what it says in the scriptures. It also says in the scriptures this. There are three that testify in heaven. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But there are three that testify in the earth. The blood, the water, and the spirit. 
testify that he has come in the flesh. So, this blood and water that came forth from his side when he cried out, I am finished, it is finished, I am no longer going to be your only begotten son. I'm going to die an eternal death. In other words, I am no longer going to be your only begotten son. The Holy Ghost is going to come forth from me. And because she's feminine, there's going to be a second Eve a Holy Ghost daughter, okay? She's not begotten. She was manifested. She came forth from him. He was born. She was manifested. And so this is what uh, we believe as branch Davidians. Branch means son or daughter. So the branch that it talks about in Jeremiah uh, 5, no, Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, it says, uh, shall, uh, I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and he shall execute righteousness and judgment in the earth. And this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. That's referring to the Son of God. But when you turn to Jeremiah 33, 10 chapters later, you add 10 to the chapters, you add 10 to the verses, and it comes to, uh, the first one is 23, 5 and 6, 33, 15 and 16. And it reads almost identical. Uh, I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and she will ex- and uh, she will execute righteousness and judgment in the earth, and this is the name whereby she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. So you have a male and a female branch of righteousness. That's Christ Himself and the Holy Ghost that came forth from Him, and uh, it's the second Adam and the second Eve. The first Adam and the first Eve gave up their crowns and they gave them to Lucifer. And the Lord himself, because he was the creator, they were the creators, let us, uh, male and female. They made them male and female. Uh, They made Adam two in one and then they took Eve from his side, and uh, this is what happened with the second Adam. He was two in one. He was uh, conceived of the Holy Ghost and born of a virgin. And, you know, at the age of 33, when he said, I am finished, I'm going I'm to die now. I'm going to give up my eternal life because I have to pay the price for Adam's sin and its eternal death. But before I do that, I'm going to bring forth the second Eve, who is the sacrifice, the living sacrifice for Eve. He was the sacrifice for Adam, 
and she was the sacrifice for Eve, and it's a living sacrifice because Eve means the mother of all living. And because of Eve, every child that came forth, uh, Eve's sin, the original sin, every child that came forth from her womb was born a sinner. So the Son of God came to this earth as a babe, he grew up. At the age of 30, he was baptized, and he came forth out of that water as the second Adam. Because Adam was born or created, uh, you know, a full-grown man at 30 years old, I believe. So when he was baptized and that dove came down and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. That was a female dove, if you look it up. That was the divine mother's voice, which is the voice of the father saying, this is my beloved son. Now, in the Hebrew culture, your genealogy is determined by your mother, not your father. So, the divine mother, in the form of a dove, a yonah, A-H ending represents female in Hebrew, uh, a Jonah or a dove, she came down and she spoke. And that's what was heard. And that's what the Son of God heard. This is my beloved. Beloved in Hebrew means uh, David or David. This is my beloved son. So this is my uh, uh, branch because son means branch, this is my branch Davidian, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. He was compelled by the Holy Spirit, the Divine Mother, to go into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil so that he could overcome where Adam fell. And there were three main you know, points that he overcame. And... Uh, he managed to do that uh, around 40 days. You know, the devil waited for him to uh, uh, be very weak and everything. So it was around, you know, the 40, 40 days after that he was tempted. But he overcame. Ten days after that, he was at the marriage of Canaan, where he performed his first miracle and he began his ministry. And because he was able to overcome on Adam's behalf, he was not only called the son of God, but he was called the son of man or the son of Adam, because Adam means man. So he became that righteous son, not only of God, but of man, of Adam, that Adam and Eve could never, because of sin, could never have a righteous son so that, uh, so he was, Christ became our kinsman redeemer and the kinsman redeemer for Adam. Uh, like Boaz and Ruth uh, had a child for Naomi and Amenelech, uh, it was not Boaz and Ruth's son, it was really to carry on the name of Amenelech and Naomi, 
So Christ and the Holy Spirit, you see, uh, have to come and bring forth a son or children that are righteous. And the only way we can be righteous is to be born again through the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And the birthing process is not that comes through a man, it comes through a female. That's why we're born again through the Holy Ghost. And uh, because the Holy Ghost is his feminine counterpart. Now, I said all this to show you, um, to give you the understanding why David Koresh or Vernon Howell, who acted the part of David Koresh, was judged by the Lord, okay? In Revelation 5, verse 6, there's a lamb that has seven eyes, perfect vision, seven horns, complete authority, and is the seven spirits of God, the complete spirit of God, sent into the earth. Okay? Now that lamb, most people think that that lamb is the Son of God. It's not the Son of God. The Son of God is the one that's sitting on the throne because it says in Revelation 4, uh, at the very end of the chapter, uh, before it gets into Revelation 5, it says that the one who sits on that throne is the creator of all things. Well, the Father wrought through the Son the creation of all things. The Father let the Son create on his behalf. So, in John 1, John chapter 1, it says that all things were made by him and for him and through him, and there was not anything that was made that was not made by him. So the Son of God is the creator. He's the one that's sitting with the book in his hand with seven seals on it. He's sitting on the throne of judgment. Now he's the only one that can judge humanity righteously. His father and his mother can't really judge humanity because they don't know what it's like to overcome sin and death and to live as a human being. So he was tempted in all points as we are. That's why he is our, you know, uh, he can judge us. He has a right to judge us because he knows what we've gone through and what we've been going through. So he sits off that throne. There's four and 20 elders. And then there are four beasts. Um, with uh, eyes all over them. And uh, that not only is the judgment scene, but we believe, I believe, and I teach this, that it is the marriage scene, okay? It's the marriage of the Lamb. Now, when you look up Lamb, Arneon, in... uh, the Strongs, you will find that the lamb that was slain and that was 
basically the Lamb of God that was hung on the cross, is masculine. The Lamb of Revelation 5 and 6 is the diminutive or petite form of that Lamb. In other words, the petite form of that species, okay, and I believe it's the feminine, the diminutive form, the smaller, you know, the petite. So that lamb of Revelation 5 and 6 is the Holy Ghost, and the way you can prove it is that when the Holy Ghost was sent down here at the day, on the day of Pentecost, um, because she is the spirit of prophecy, okay, she has perfect vision, seven eyes. Because she was sent down here to uh, take control of the church, the disciples, you see, on the day of Pentecost, uh, she has complete authority. Why? Because Christ is in heaven as a mediator. She's sent down here to finish the work in us. And the seven spirits of God, the complete spirit of God, uh, sent into the earth. That's exactly what it says in, in, in uh, Revelation 5 and 6. So that lamb is the Holy Ghost. That position is, re is reserved for divinity. Now so you have a right. When we Go look ahead. at the lamb, though, you know, we look at Jesus being the lamb that was slain Yes, I, I agree. But this, this, um, the one sitting on the throne is the lamb that was slain. This is his counterpart. This is the, it tells you it's the Holy Ghost. It, it, it's it's the, the spirit, the seven spirits of God sent in the earth. It tells you who it is. And that, that the seven spirits raised the seven churches, okay? It was the Holy Ghost raising the churches. It was the Holy Ghost that authored the book that he's holding in his hand. The volume of the In the volume of the book, it is written of me, I have come to do thy will, O my God, okay? Uh, sacrifice and oblation thou would not. But in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Who wrote the book? Who wrote the Bible? The Holy Ghost through men being inspired by the Holy Ghost, the one that was sent in, sent here to lead us into all truth. So, the volume of the book is in the hand of the one that is the Word of God. The Word made flesh. And he has the volume of the book that is written about him, and the author of the book is the only one that can open the sealed book because she wrote the book. Only the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, uh, it, it, we're told that no scripture is of private interpretation. Only the Holy Ghost can interpret it. And what she is interpreting and giving us the revelation of is who he is. She's revealing to us who he is. And I don't know if you know anything about a, uh, you know, a Jewish wedding, but 
It's called the ketubah or the contract. And the contract is given to the woman for her to open and to sign. And what it is, it's a description of who the husband is and everything that he is and everything that he owns. And he gives it to her. And she's the only one that can open it because she's his counterpart. So that's what it is here. That's, that's what we have here. Now, this is very serious, okay, when someone comes along and says he's that lamb. When it says that no man can open the book, no man in heaven or in earth or under the earth can open the book. Why? Because she is the only one that can do it. She's the only one that can interpret who he really is to us because she's his counterpart. She knows him like a book. You understand what I'm saying? She wrote the book about him. So when man tries to interpret the scriptures, the word of God, and tries to put his own interpretation on it, that's when they cross the line. That's why it says no scripture is a private interpretation. So here we have Vernon Howell who comes along and claims to be that lamb of Revelation 5 and 6 and says he's the only one that can open the book. That's what he bragged about. That's what he said. That's what his, uh, uh, his famous words were. I'm the only one that can open that book. Well, we had someone else that came along, you know, back in the 1500s that made the same claim, and that was Mohammed. Mohammed was the only one that could open the book. Now, David Koresh Okay, Koresh in Hebrew means Cyrus, a descendant from Ishmael, a Muslim, an Arab, who was a, an, a non-believer, a pagan, a non-believer, because that's, you know, what pagan means, you don't believe, like the Jews do. And Cyrus was still anointed of God to liberate God's people from their bondage. And he did it. He even financed their return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to restore their true worship. So when David Koresh takes on this, or Vernon Howell takes on this name, David, beloved, Koresh, okay, um, and Koresh in Hebrew means son, S-U-N, not S-O-N. And you have to understand that Islam is a form of Mithraism, which is sun worship. And so this Cyrus, this pagan god, he was still anointed of God. His name was still in the scriptures, okay? And he came forth and he liberated God's people. Now, that's what we feel that Vernon Howell, as David Koresh did. Why? Because the Assyrian, okay, that we believe is English-speaking Protestant nations, which was basically the United States who came here, the government that came here, 
to bring Koresh down. And they were able to do it. In the book of Nahum, see this, I forgot to mention that all this that happened here was prophesied by Ellen White, Victor Hoddeth, and Ben Roden. And even Lois Roden prophesied it. And I was the one that came along in 1984 when we were having the schism, and I brought all this forth, and I pointed my finger at David Koresh, and I said, you're the one that's bringing this prophesied apostate movement within the church, and you're going to be judged of God for doing it. And I told him that it was going to be the slaughter of Ezekiel 9. When you read Ezekiel 9 and Ezekiel 28, in Ezekiel 28, it says, this is what the Lord says to this guy, the prince of Tyrus, and it rhymes with Cyrus, okay? But it's the same spirit. This guy comes along and says, I have the mind of God, I sit in the seat of God, and I am God. That's what David Koresh was declaring when he was declaring he was that lamb of Revelation 5 and 6. And so I told him, I said, because you're saying this, and this is what the Lord says in, in, in Isaiah, or excuse me, Ezekiel 28, Be, the Lord says to this guy, because thou hast said, I have the mind of God, I sit in the seat of God, and I am God, the Lord is going to send strangers, the terrible of the nations, and they will bring you down with the sword. We'll see how much of a God you are in the hands of those that slay you. You are not a God, you are just a man. Now, if people want to go on my website to the number two branches dot info two branches dot info and go to the heading Omega of Apostasy. Omega of Apostasy. And that's what Ellen White called it. It would be the Omega of Apostasy. The Alpha of Apostasy was in heaven with Lucifer. The Omega of Apostasy, which is the last, will be a man declaring himself to be God. Now, I want you all to understand, too, that David Koresh was playing, Vernon Howell was playing the part of David Koresh, okay? And he knew, when I pointed my finger at him and I said to him, you are going to receive the Ezekiel 9 slaughter, the slaughter of men, women, maids, and little children, and there's going to be a fire that's going to devour your whole complex, well, he put his arm around me because he realized, he knew that I was teaching the truth. And he knew what this truth was because he was called by the Lord to fulfill it. Why? So that he would be an object lesson to the world. So that all people around the world that tune into what happened here at Mount Carmel will see, and there's a lot of people that say, this guy was, you know, a maniac. He was a... a uh, he was a religious fanatic. He thought he was God. Well, anyone that interprets the scriptures for themselves 
and doesn't allow the Holy Spirit to do it, is sitting in the seat of God. It's sitting in the seat of the Holy Ghost, just like he was claiming, I'm the only one that can open the book. And so his declaration was his sentence to be judged, and I told him that. But he still put his arm around me and hugged me, and he said, he turned, you know, to the, to the people, to the audience. There was about 180 people, all the elders of the church. There were church members there. And I'm showing, you know, three-and-a-half-hour study. I'm showing all this stuff, how there was a rebellion in heaven and how Lucifer was the alpha of apostasy and how this individual that comes in the latter days who is the omega of apostasy. Now, it wasn't just David Koresh. David Koresh was an object lesson of guess who? This Mahdi that's coming, that's of um, Islamic descent, a descendant of Ishmael, who's going to claim he's God. And who's going to claim that he's, you know, uh, Allah is God and, uh, you know, Muhammad is prophet. Now, David Koresh's followers basically said that, okay? That David Koresh was God's prophet. And he was the only one that could open the book. So what I'm saying to you is this. Now, this happened 24 years ago. You can see in the headlines today how ISIS is trying to take over the world and they want to set up a caliphate, which is nothing more than a theocracy under their God, and they're claiming that their God, Allah, okay? Now, remember, the A-H ending is feminine in the Eastern tongue, even Arabic, okay? So, this God, Allah, is nothing but a counterfeit of the true feminine God, okay? The Shekinah, the one that sits above the mercy seat, the one that is the counterpart of Christ, the one that is that lamb that was of God that was sent into the earth, seven eyes, seven horns, it is the seven spirits of God. That can't be Christ because he's not the seven spirits of God. The Holy Ghost is. The Holy Ghost was the one that fell upon the disciples as tongues of fire. She's the one that leads us into all truth. She's the other comforter. And she comes in his name. His name. Now, Allah is nothing more than Satan, Lucifer, dressed up in drag, so to speak, trying to be that feminine God, the Shekinah. And that's who Allah is. Now, I did some research on it. The Kaaba, which is the uh, tent that they have in Mecca, that they, you know, that they go around uh, and basically worship. Inside that Kaaba is a black stone. That black stone, they believe, 
fell from heaven and it represents their God. Now, they've taken silver and hammered it out, okay, and made it into an image that they overlaid on this rock to make it look like the female organ, okay, the female sexual organ. Now, you need to look up and study what they do when they go to Mecca at Ramadan and they make their pilgrimage. They used to do this uh, anciently, okay. They don't do it this quite the same in modern day because they wouldn't allow it, okay. Uh, they'd probably get arrested. But they would go around with sheets in sheets, especially the men, okay, and they would be naked underneath it. And they would actually have, uh, you know, they'd make the... Um, I hate to say it, but they make sexual uh, um, um, motions, okay, with this rock, okay? So this is what they believe. This is why I believe that that is the counterfeit of the true. Now, the pearl of great price, okay, is the spirit of God. And this, this pearl of great price is the feminine bride of Christ, his counterpart, that came forth from his side. He can't be unevenly yoked. He has to be yoked by his, you know, someone that uh, is equal to him. Has to be human and divine. Has to be an intercessor. Has to be a co-creator. Has to be a mediator. You see, has to be a lamb, has to be a lion, okay? And uh, if he's the bullock, she's the red heifer. Now, you understand that there are male and female sacrifices as well in, in, the, in the sacrificial system. It didn't just represent Christ, it represented Christ and his counterpart. Now, why? Because, why? because there's has to be a sacrifice for Adam and a sacrifice for Eve as well. Now, so, been, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, so the way, the way that y'all are teaching, though, that kind of, you know, what I've heard in, in the church is he's coming back for the bride, and they believe the church is the bride. Yes, but the church is represented by a woman, a pure woman, and her children. She's the church. She is the one through whom we are born again through the baptismal font, okay, of the church. It's her womb. It's the baptismal font, and we are born again. But we are to be born again through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She's the church, and we are the congregation or the children. And when he comes to marry his bride... Because we are born again through, and it's a virgin birth, okay, just like he had a virgin birth, he received his humanity through a virgin birth. We receive our divinity through a virgin birth, being born again. He marries her and receives the children as well. 
she's she's basically a um, a um, uh, a single mother, a single parent, taking care of us here, uh, leading us into all truth, convicting us of sin, testifying of Him, you know, guiding uh, uh, and directing us, sheltering us, covering us, uh, so that we can be mature sons and daughters through the new birth experience, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And with fire, the fire comes through her, through experiencing a, you know, Christ's um, baptism of fire, by the, so to speak, was Gethsemane. He, he, was, he could have died right there. And he had to be preserved so he could go through the passion and the sacrifice. But he was raised from the dead. And who raised him from the dead? Well, the Father sent that quickening spirit, okay, a quickening spirit, which was the Holy Ghost. And she said, Son of God, thy Father calleth thee. It wasn't an angel. It was, it was the angel of mercy, the Shekinah, his own you know, he says, I have the power to lay down my life, and I have the power to take it up again. She had to be his counterpart, or he would have lied to me, you know, lied to, to us. Because he's saying, I have the power to not only give up my life, but I have the power to take it up again. She is his counterpart. She is the other comforter that comes in his name. Bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, the second Eve. Now, this is why David Koresh, okay, he claimed that position. And you see this Mahdi, this, this Antichrist, this uh, uh, Muslim Messiah, this Allah, you know, he believes that he's the, he's the prophet of Allah. Well, he's worshiping the false God that's trying to take the place of the true God, feminine God. I know, I know this is a lot to take all at once, you know, but I'm telling you this is what this was all about because, and it's coming out now after all these years because the public is ready to see how Islam this um, religion of Koresh is trying to usurp the place of Christ and the Holy Spirit and make Christ a non-entity, basically. You know, they're basically saying uh, that Christ is going to be the subordinate of, uh, of the, the, the Mahdi and that the Lord himself is going to, uh, you know, kill all Christians that don't go along and accept the Mahdi or the or the, um, uh, the the Antichrist. Well, I totally believe the Antichrist is going to rise up out of the the Muslims out of you know. Yeah, I totally believe that because there's there's just too much evidence there, and we're seeing it happen, you know, yes. every day. Yeah. You know? I, I but it, as far as far as with the the Holy Spirit and all that, I don't know. I'll have to research more on that, you know. But I do see there is minimum, you know, where where the Holy Spirit, you know, in ways. I mean, 
Listen to how Jesus talked and said, you know, you can talk about me all you want. Exactly. But do not talk about the Holy Spirit. Well, only a, you know, that's something only a son would say about his, his mother or, you know, however. Exactly. You know, his, right? Or, you know, so. Yeah, and, and I'll put it this way. You can make fun of me, but you better not make fun of my wife. Exactly, yeah. You better not make fun of my wife because now you've crossed the line. And, you know, you can put me out of the way and say that I didn't exist and all that, but you better not do that with my wife because she's yeah. the heart. Of, she, she's the heart of my family. She's the mother of my children. You understand what I'm saying? She is what makes me who I am. You understand what I'm trying to say? Right, right. And that's you know, why, and, that's why and, she opens the book. He yeah, gives me, her the privilege of opening too. the book to us. Let me say this, too, because a lot of people, you know, have probably already said, oh, I'm turning this off or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, you know, there are absolutes that that they have to believe in, this, in Jesus as the Son of God that died for, you know, we yes. all have to believe exactly the same. Because, exactly. I mean, there's, there's stuff I've heard in, in the Baptist church that I don't agree with. There's stuff I've heard in the Methodist church that I don't agree with. But, right. you know, there there is the absolutes. And so go, go ahead. I, I want to hear more, too, about, um, you know, what... When you first talked to, to David and all that, uh, you know. Well, yeah, I, I basically told him that you cannot be this personage. And because you are claiming to be that personage, because you're claiming to have the mind of God, that you sit in the seat of God, and that you are God, see, that... that uh, um, place is reserved for the Holy Ghost, the counterpart of Christ. And when you claim that, you're saying you're more than just a man. You're more than just a prophet. You're saying you're divinity. And you can't do that. I'm telling you, he's not going to tolerate No, I told him, I said, the Lord's not going to tolerate this. Because you're claiming, basically, to be his bride. And then I thought about, you know, everybody thinks they're going to marry Christ. Everybody does. And they don't give her the privilege or the position of being who she is. Yes, she's our mother because she is uh, the one that's nurturing us. If you look at all the traits of the Holy Spirit, you'll see that they're feminine traits. Traits of a woman. You know, and it speaks about... uh, you know, a holy woman in Proverbs. They're all traits of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit would be doing in taking care of the children. So if he's going to get married, okay, he's not a polygamist. He's not going to marry a male. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's not going to, he's not going to marry me. I'm a male. You know, we like to say, you know, we like to talk about, you know, LBJ, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, same-sex marriage and all that. It's, it's wrong. Well, he's not going to marry a, a male. So the Holy Ghost is not male. It's not three males up in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
Now, as a Catholic, that's what they used to tell me. And they used to tell me uh, that the Holy Ghost was the one that impregnated Mary. No, it says he was conceived of, not by, of the Holy Ghost and born of a virgin. And it says that, um, uh, you know, Mary said, how will this thing uh, happen? I know not a man. It says the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, that holy thing that is born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So when the Holy Ghost came down upon her, the Holy Ghost is the seed of the Divine Mother, placed in Mary's womb, already impregnated. The Word and the Spirit came together. And you know what Mary said? Be it done unto me according to thy word. You spoke it. I'm going to let it happen, just the way you spoke it. So the word and the spirit of prophecy came into Mary, okay, Mary's womb. And, you know, God declared to her that she was going to bear his son. And she says, okay, be it done under me according to exactly what you said. I'll do it. And that's how he was conceived, and that's how he was born. He was born of a virgin. And Mary had other children after that with Joseph, but she was a virgin, a surrogate mother, okay? Just like we have surrogates today that uh, uh, they implant the uh, fertilized egg into the mother, into the surrogate. Mary was a surrogate. And uh, um, you have to understand that a male, okay, is both male and female. A female is female. So the Son of God had both the spirit and, you know, the male attributes or the um, uh, attributes that he received from Adam because he was going to become a man, okay? And he was born a man, but he was filled with the Holy... He was full of the Holy Ghost. And it wasn't until the cross that he gave up his, the ghost, the female. And she took on his flesh. And she went to heaven with his flesh and blood and offered his sacrifice in heaven where you can only have a living sacrifice, by the way. You cannot have a dead sacrifice in heaven. So that's where his living flesh and bone went. And the father saw that the son obeyed him and he took on sin and the wages of sin is eternal death, not the first death, not the physical death, but eternal death. And he did it. He took it on. Because the father could see that his eternal spirit in his flesh, okay, was standing in front of him as, the, as his daughter, as, 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 as his counterpart. So he did go through it. He did do it. And he was no longer the only begotten son because now there's a daughter with the son and through the two of them, they're going to have children through the new birth experience. So you have to know the word and the spirit before you can be born again of the spirit. And that's why it says we become a new creature in Christ because we're born again.
as a son and a daughter, a begotten son and daughter, through the Spirit and the Word, just like he was in Mary. The Word of God and the Spirit of God was put in Mary's womb and in Mary's heart and in Mary's mind, and she said, Be it done unto me according to thy word. So, now, Roman Catholicism has elevated, and I believe it's the Jesuit teachings and perversions within the Catholic Church, okay? They've taken a truth about Christ's counterpart, the feminine um, counterpart of Christ, the Holy Ghost. Now, if you look up Maria as a title, it means sovereign lady or sovereign woman. Okay? Now, Maria or Mary, the Jesuits elevated his surrogate mother as the mediator, the, um, uh, you know, mother of us all, okay? Uh, And that was a perversion of the truth when you study and you understand the other comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah, okay? Um, It says that the Holy Ghost intercedes on our behalf, in Hebrews, intercedes on our behalf and interprets our prayers with groanings that cannot be uttered. In other words, she's interpreting our prayers before we can even speak them. We're just groaning. They're just groanings in our hearts and minds. This is the work of the Holy Ghost, not Mary. And I believe her name or her title is Maria Divine Mercy because she is the angel of mercy that sits on the mercy seat, the Shekinah, the glory, the counterpart of Christ, the other comforter that comes to lead us into all truth, convict us of sin, and testifies of him. She says, look, this is the way he walked in. Now you walk in it. And she imparts to us the righteousness of Christ. She testifies of him and says, this is what he did. Now I want you to do it. And I'm going to give you the strength. If you'll be obedient, I'll give you the strength and the mercy and the grace and I'm long-suffering, you see, uh, that you need to develop the character of your Father, Christ. You see, you're going to be like him. In order to be like him, we have to have her dwelling in us, telling us what to do. You see, we have to be born again. We have to have that spirit dwelling in us. And we are a temple of the Holy Ghost. That's what we're, we were made to be. And this is what Christ said. He said, your body's not your own. It was bought with a price. I bought it. I died a physical death so that I could buy your physical body. And it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. And I want it to be a temple or a dwelling place for the Holy Ghost. And he says, I'm going to put my spirit within you. 
I promise, I'm going to put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways and keep my statutes and judgments. Because you can't do this on your own. That would be your own righteousness. It has to be my righteousness. So you see, when we say that this is the branch, the name of our church, the branch, the Lord, our righteousness, we know who our righteousness is. It's the Lord. You see? We don't have any righteousness of ourselves. And this is the name that we were supposed to call ourselves after we were judged. After we were judged by what David Koresh did as a church. And yes, our dirty laundry was, you know, hung up before the whole world. But it was an object lesson. And it was to emphasize what I'm trying to, uh, you know, relate to you now about the Holy Ghost. She is the grace that Christ gives us and the mercy that he gives us. And the power that he gives us to overcome sin and death. If she was not dwelling in him, he could not have kept the law. He could not have been perfect. He could not have been righteous. And he's telling us the same thing. Unless I put my spirit within you and allow her to cause you because you love me. You see, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And greater love hath no man than he give his life for his friend or to his friend. This is how he makes us his friends. He gives us his beloved, his love, the love of his life. The Holy Ghost, his counterpart, his beloved, he wants to put her in us so that we can be born again. See, that's how, you know, when a father and a mother come together, there's the traits of both the father and the mother in that child. And that's how their love is expressed and personified in the child. And that's what Christ the Word and the Christ the Spirit want to do with us. That's how we receive our divine nature. Our human nature and our divine nature have to become one, you know, married. Just like if we're going to be like Christ, you see, he was human and divine, and he's always going to be human and divine forever and ever. So if we're going to be like him and we're going to be his children, we have to be human and divine. The way we receive our divine nature is through the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, just like he did. And that's why he had to give her up. He couldn't hold on to her anymore. And that's what his father basically told him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, look, son, if you don't give her up, you can't have any children. You cannot save Adam and Eve and their family because they all have to be born again. And the only way they can be born again is through the the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and you've got to set her free. You've been baptized of the Holy Ghost. You've been anointed by her, but you've got to set her free. And that's what he tells me, too. Because the anointing, you see, is what is passed on through the laying on of hands. It's not something that you can hold on to and, you know, you just have for yourself. It's something you share to those that are ready to receive it. You see? And so the baptism by water and the baptism of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands and the anointing of oil, 
you see. And then there's the baptism by fire, and that's what the Holy Ghost does when the Holy Ghost, you know, fills your body temple and dwells because she's been invited. And you know who she is. You know, she's not some mysterious uh, spirit. Uh, she's got personality. She's got gender. She's, she's a person. You see? And uh, that's what the Holy, uh, that's what the Lord wants us to understand, is that she's his beloved. He's our father. She's our mother. Now, this sounds like Catholicism. But Catholicism, what they teach, and I know this for a fact because I was raised a Catholic, it's a perversion of what the Bible teaches. It's a perversion of the truth. And Mary, you know, uh, you know, she was the surrogate mother of Christ, and she was a virgin. Now, you can have a virgin today that can bear a child if you put a fertilized egg in the womb of that virgin. She doesn't have to know a man. That, that, you know, there doesn't have to be any intercourse, physical uh, intercourse. And that's what basically happened with the Son of God. The Word and the Spirit were placed into Mary's womb. And she said, Be it done unto me according to thy word. And it was the Father and the Mother. When it says that the power of the highest overshadowed her, you know, that was the Divine Mother overshadowing her. Remember when, um, um, what was her name, uh, Hagar? asked Sarah to let her sit on her lap so that she would have the child as if Sarah was having that child because Sarah was barren. Well, that was, you know, Sarah's way of fulfilling the prophecy. It was not God's way. So she had Sarah overshadow Hagar. Okay, and Hagar was the one that had Ishmael, okay? But that's similar to what the Divine Mother was doing with Mary because the Divine Mother could not have a child in the flesh. She had to have a surrogate, handmaid, okay? Just like Sarah couldn't have a child in the flesh because she was barren. And it says that, you know, Hagar represents Mount Sinai, but... Sarah represents the Jerusalem above, which is the mother of us all. The mother of us all. Even Christ. The Jerusalem above, the divine mother. So, um, and the new Jerusalem, of course, is the daughter. The bride of Christ. And he's not marrying a bunch of people. He's not marrying a city, you know. Uh, he's marrying a, 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 an individual, a person. And it's his counterpart. He could not be unevenly yoked. It had to be a, a, a partner that came forth from him, just like with Adam. It came, his partner, Eve, came forth from him. The second Adam, his partner, came forth from him. Hey, and, Charles. Uh, 
Yes. We're going to probably have to stop there. So okay, that's what, cool. What, now, what we'll probably do is pick up next time. Yeah. And uh, on the same, but brother, you know, brother, I know this is, I know this sounds crazy, okay? But you need to pray about it, study it, and let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you. I'm not, I don't care whether you accept it or not. I'm just saying this is what was revealed to us, to me, and it's been being developed over the past 24 years, okay? It's not something that just came to me overnight. It's been developed over the past, you know, uh, 24 years. And David Koresh, this whole incident here at Mount Carmel, the Lord emphasized who the Holy Spirit is by saying, no, it's never going to be a man. It's never going to be a woman. It's going to be my counterpart, the Holy Ghost, the Lamb of Revelation 5 and 6. You know, there are people to this day that are still following and believing that that is, you know, that David Koresh is going to be raised from the dead. And he's that Lamb. Yeah. That Lamb, that Lamb, that Lamb of Revelation 5 and 6 doesn't die. It, it appears as if it has been slain. Just like the Holy Ghost appears as if she is out of the picture. You see? Appears as if she's out of the picture. But she's not. And, and that's why I say the Lord, now that he is going to get married, now that he's going to come for his bride, well we who are going to accompany the bride and be guests at the marriage, you see, and witnesses, are going to have to know who the bride is and stop trying to take her place. Even when we try to interpret the scriptures, we are not, they're not privately interpreted. So stop trying to be the Holy Ghost. That's what we learned from what happened here at Mount Carmel. Because David Koresh was trying to... Um, um, assume that position as the leader of the church, okay? And there were some that followed him, and I told him, I said, if that's what you're going to do, the Lord is going to take you down. Just like he says in Ezekiel 28, he's going to take you down. Now, these five men with slaughter weapons that it talks about in Revelation or in Ezekiel 9 were the five Delta Force officers that were here. They have license to kill when they're given the order to assassinate anybody or to carry out any, uh, you know, order from the uh, commander-in-chief. Now, uh, I'm going to say this just to give you a little bit of uh, something to think about, too. I believe Hillary Clinton ordered or talked Bill into having these people, um, I say, sacrificed. Because she is a witch. It's a fact that she is a witch, a practicing witch. And um, um, what was his name? Foster? Um, I can't remember his first name. Uh, you know, they found him. Uh, supposedly he committed suicide and he shot himself in the back of the head. <laughs> uh, like twice? Like twice, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, No, that guy... 
felt so bad, and I heard this, you know, from other people. He felt so bad about what happened here to the children that it made him sick. He couldn't. He he could not stomach it anymore, and he was probably going to come out and tell the truth about it. So they got rid of him, like they got rid of a lot of people. And um, I just want to say, if you'll go online and look up on YouTube the Clinton Chronicles, Clinton Chronicles, and you'll see what he and his wife were doing during their tenure as, uh, in Arkansas. Uh, they were, I won't say what they were doing, but um, there's an airport very close to Mount Carmel here, and there's a, an airport in Medina, Arkansas. And uh, this place was linked to the gun and drug running that they were doing because David Koresh, uh, I believe, found out some things. David Koresh was a gun dealer, and he found out what he was doing uh, with the guns, and especially the guns that came from um, Iraq when they, uh, during Desert Storm when they gave up all their arms and everything and they brought all that, uh, all those guns and ammunition and everything and they brought it to Oklahoma City at the uh, BATF headquarters in the mural building. That's where all that information was. And it's connected, okay? And if you want to hear more about that, um, you know, pray about it. If you want to hear more about that, uh, you know, we'll do another show if you want. But, uh, and, and think about what I've said, you know, uh, and if you want to do it, uh, you know, and, and I, I thank you because I know that this is, str- I know this is strange teaching, especially when it's coming from Branch Davidians, you know, and what happened here in the past. But please, uh, you know, don't judge too flippantly uh, what I've said to you. Try to pray about it and let the Holy Spirit convict you if it's truth or not. Uh, you know, choose the good and refuse the evil. That's all I've got to say. But let all the right. Holy Spirit, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know? Exactly. Well, like don't I said, throw it out. Like I said before, well, Todd, we started, this has been a pleasure. You know, speaking with you. Uh, is, it pos- is it possible to get a uh, copy of this? When I'm done, I'll, I'll let you know and send it down. Okay. Thank you, brother. All right. Well, thank you for Stop being on tonight, Charles, and, and we will talk later. Okay. All right. Uh, privately, too, if you want. All right. Okay. Well, thank you. That, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Mm-hmm.